As free will Baptists, and really all Baptists in general, we believe in something called the priesthood of all believers. And the priesthood of the believer is that Jesus has built his church in such a way every disciple of Jesus, every born-again disciple of Jesus is a priest before God. The priesthood of the believer means every disciple of Jesus is equal under God, Galatians uh, 3.28. The priesthood of the believer means every disciple of Jesus has direct access to God on their own, Hebrews 7.25-28. Right, let me kind of explain these in case you're not familiar with. In the Old Testament, every, disciple, every person who was the people of God were not equal in the kingdom, in, in, the, in, the, Jew, in the Jewish kingdom. The, the priests and the prophets... And the kings were higher than the average person. In God's kingdom, we're all prophets and priests and kings, according to what the New Testament tells us. Um, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, every disciple of Jesus or every follower of, of Judaism did not have direct access to God. Only, again, the prophets and the priests and the kings had this continual, direct, open access to God. In, in the New Covenant times... We all can go to God. I, I, I gladly pray with you and pray for you for anything you need. But one of the distinctions of a, the priesthood of the believer is you don't need me to talk to God on your behalf. Now, you may want me to pray with you about something, and that's a wonderful thing. The more people praying for us, the more power there is. But I do not have some sort of direct access to God to talk to him about your problems that you do not have. You don't have to come to me to confess your sins and then I confess them to God and then I absolve you of them. No, rather what you can do is because of what Christ has done, you can go directly to God and confess your sins to him yourself. Um, every disciple of Jesus is free and responsible for reading God's word and can trust the Holy Spirit to provide guidance and interpretation. The priesthood of all believers means that I am not the only one in this church who has the authority or the right to read God's word and say what I think it means. You have just as much right and just as much authority to read God's word yourself. In fact, you're commanded to test everything I say against God's word. And if you think I'm wrong... Your job isn't just to knuckle it under and say, well, I guess the preacher's right and I'm wrong because he's the preacher. Your job is to come and tell me. Say, hey, I, I read what you, I mean, I listened to the sermon and here's what I think it means. And then we reason together to try to come to, I'll explain why I think it means what I think it means. You explain why you think it means what you think it means. And then we either come to an agreement or we agree to disagree and leave as brothers and sisters in Christ. But every disciple of Jesus is equal. Every disciple of Jesus has access. Every disciple of Jesus is essentially the same. We're called differently. We're called to do different things. But there's not the division of, well, I'm elevated above you because I'm called to preach and I'm the pastor of the church. No, no. We are all first and foremost disciples of Jesus. The calling God has placed upon my life has been to teach and preach and shepherd a church, the call God has placed on your life is something different, but it is no less valuable, no less important than mine is. The priesthood of the believer has blessings and it has responsibilities. The blessing is every disciple of Jesus is equal before God and has equal access to God. As I read in Peter at the beginning, Peter 
writes to those people and he says, to those who have the same kind of faith we have. Who's the we he's talking about? The apostles. You and I have the same kind of faith the apostles of Jesus Christ had. You and I have the same kind of faith Billy Graham had. If Billy Graham had a better relationship with God than we do, it's not because Billy Graham had this special access to God that has been kept from us as secondary citizens. No. If Billy Graham had a better relationship with God than we do, it is because he stewarded his relationship with God better than we do. You and I have exactly the same access to God that Billy Graham had. That's the benefit. The blessing, or that's the benefit and the blessing, the responsibility is we are all ministers. We are all to serve Jesus by serving others. Now, in the Old Covenant, it was broken up into ministers. There were priests. And then there were spectators. And it was the regular people. And so, when it came time to, to serve the Lord, the regular people brought their offerings. They brought their animals. And then they watched as the priest, the servant of God, the minister... Offered the sacrifice, put it on the altar, did all of the things, and did it. So there was the ones who did stuff, and then there were the spectators. Not so in the New Covenant. Under the New Covenant, there are no spectators. Instead, there are all ministers. There are all servants. All of us are servants of the Most High God. All of us are ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have repented of your sins and you have believed in Jesus Christ as your, for your salvation, you are just as much in the ministry as I am. You are just as much in the ministry as a missionary to Bulgaria is. The difference is what part of ministry we're to be a part of. We minister in different ways, fitting with the way God has wired us, God has gifted us, and God has called us. But we are all meant to be ministers. Ministry is simply serving Jesus by serving others. Every one of us, as a disciple of Jesus, is meant to serve Jesus by serving other people. Now, since we are all in the ministry... We need to know what it looks like to be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need an example to follow. And in all things, ministry especially, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is our example. So open your Bible to Mark 1. I'm going to read verses 40 through 45. should be page 762 in the Pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. And a man with leprosy came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling down, saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and was cleansed. And sternly he warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and glorious, wonderful. 
and worthy. We bow in your presence and we surrender this time and our lives to you. Father, in this time, help us to be careful to lay aside any sort of distractions or cares of life we may have brought with us. What Jesus has said and what Jesus has done in this passage is truly important for us to understand so that we can emulate him in our lives. Let your spirit take this passage and make it living and active so we would go out and and minister for Jesus in the ways we ought to. Father, I pray maybe you would change our minds and we would begin to see that there are no spectators in the kingdom of God, but we are all meant to be in ministry. And once our minds were changed along like that, that, Father, we would leave this place and everywhere we went, we would minister to others in the name of Jesus through the power of your spirit for your glory. Help us, O God, to have eyes to see and hearts that care and hands and feet that are willing to do whatever it is that needs to be done. Fill me with your spirit this morning. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said or what you want done. Have your way in us, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. One of the characteristics of Jesus' ministry is compassion. He cared about people. He demonstrated his care about people through everything he did. Jesus taught people because he cared about them. He had information they needed. And so he told them what they needed to know. Jesus spent time with religious and social outcasts because they needed to know that God loved them and so did he. Jesus healed the sick because he cared for them and he had the ability to do something about their condition. Everything Jesus did all throughout his life, Jesus saw needs and met needs because he was compassionate and because he cared about people. So as Jesus went about doing good, as Jesus went about ministering to others, he set the example for us to follow. So that, that's simply our, our key truth. Jesus is our example for ministry. How do I minister to Jesus? How do I serve Jesus by serving others? Well, I, I do what Jesus did to the very best of my abilities. So what did Jesus do? Well, We have to be willing to help others. Jesus was willing to help. Now, this man was a leper. At this point in history, leprosy was highly infectious. It was incurable and probably the most feared of all the known diseases. Leprosy affected the whole body. Leprosy usually began with fatigue and pain in the joints. And then scaly spots began to develop on the skin. As the disease progressed, the body would begin to be covered with pus-filled nodules. The nodules would grow on the vocal cords so that the leper spoke with a raspy voice. The body was in a state of living decomposition. Therefore, the, the leper smelled terrible. Leprosy attacked the central nervous system, compromising the body's ability to feel pain. This meant the leper could injure himself and never know it. They often did injure themselves, not know it, develop an infection in the injury, adding to their already terrible condition. One article I read said rats and other vermin would often chew on the sleeping lepers because they smelled and they thought they were dead, and the leper himself never knew it. The leper died a horrible slow death as leprosy took about nine years to run its course. One of the worst aspects of leprosy was the social isolation it brought. The Levitical law stated a leper was unclean and had to dwell alone outside of normal society. 
The leper also had to keep a cloth over his upper lip and over his mouth so it wouldn't spread contamination. When he saw somebody from afar, he would have to hold up his hand and shout, Unclean! Unclean! So they would know he was a leper and they wouldn't accidentally come too close and contract the disease themselves. So this meant that once a person was diagnosed with leprosy, they had virtually no other contact with people other than other lepers until they died. They had to leave their family. The families would only see them at a distance. But many articles I read said that after a few years, even the family cut off contact. They would hold a funeral and they would act as though the person was dead because it was just too painful to watch. So they were left out. They were far away. They were kindly really depended upon the kindness of strangers to leave them clothes, bandages and food. Otherwise, they went out to the woods and they just essentially died of being in the wilderness, of being eaten by animals, of starvation. Overall, it was just terrible. Now, this terrible condition is what we find with this man. A man with leprosy comes to Jesus. Now, it's interesting the risk this man took because he's. Close enough for Jesus to reach out and touch him. Which, again, this is a violation of of the Hebrew law. He was too close to people. He had not shouted, unclean, unclean, to get people to scatter. He had run the risk of coming this close. If Jesus had not responded the way he responded, they would have had him stoned. They would have stoned the man to death for violating the law, coming this close to people, uh, chancing the, the ability to give others this disease. And so he asked Jesus, he kneels down in a place of humility... And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, obviously, there is a desire to be cleansed from his disease. His desire is seen in the way he ran up to Jesus, the way he's knelt before Jesus. Even his words declare a a desire to be cleansed. His, His words convey a confidence Jesus can. If you're willing, you can. But it's interesting is there's no demand. Right? He doesn't make a demand. He doesn't say, Jesus, you owe me. Jesus, I deserve it. Jesus, here are all the good deeds I did back in the day before I got this. You should. Nope. He just comes and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus' response is beautiful. He's moved with compassion, which we'll talk about in a minute. And he says, I am willing. Jesus was willing. He did this because he was willing to serve others. He he didn't have to. Nothing forced Jesus' hand. He was under no compulsion by any outside force to do this. But Jesus was willing to help others because he cared about people. Because that's who Jesus is. So our example in this is to be willing to do what we can to help others. Others. Be willing to help. The Apostle Paul said we are to share in one another's burdens. Now, share in one another's burdens sounds an awful lot like be willing to help. Burdens, of course, anything that is difficult, anything that is hard. This is right, helping people is often difficult. Helping people is often with hard things. But we are to bear. One another's burdens. The word for burden there, it, it, it pictures a burden that's almost crushing. Right? It's not just like an inconvenience. But it's a, a crushing burden. And we're to bear that with one another. 
We're to see other people crushed under the cares of life. Care enough to be willing to help them in their time of need. He says, in doing this, you obey the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Well, the law of Christ is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. As we... Share in one another's burdens, we obey the law of Christ. God loves the people we see who are crushed under the cares of life. And He wants us to help. So I demonstrate my love for God by helping them as I know God would want me to. Also, if I love my neighbors, I love myself. I would want somebody to help me if I was being crushed by the cares of life. And so if I love them as I love myself... I have to be willing to go and get and help them in that time of need. That's what love does. Loving God means serving God. And serving God means serving others because God loves people and He wants us to help them. Loving others means doing unto them as we would like them to do unto us. To help them in the ways we wished somebody would help us. Now I use the New Living Translation this because I like the last part. If you think you're too important to help people, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Paul was not one to beat around the bush. He was one to lay it out flat. The picture is some in the Galatian church saw others crushed under the cares of life and they said, I'm too important to get involved in such a menial task as helping this individual. I'm important. And so I can't get involved in whatever this messy situation is. I I can't dirty myself with this problem. Or I'm I'm, I'm kind of an important person. I should help like groups of people, not one individual person. That's that's below me. Paul's wording is to those people is if that's who you think you are, here's the reality. You're not nearly as important as you think you are. So when we go out to help people, we look at people, when we see a burden, we see a need, nothing is below us is kind of the point. Nothing is beneath us. We're not too good to help anyone with anything. And if we are, if we think we are, it is only self-deception. We have fooled ourselves into thinking we're better than we are. We're more important than we are. If there is anything you and I would say, well, I would never do that to help somebody... That's not because I'm legitimately that important. It's because I'm self-deceived. I'm proud. I'm arrogant. I'm foolish. But I'm really not that important. Nothing should be below us. Nothing should be beneath us. Essentially, he's saying there is no good excuse for not fulfilling the law of Christ. If we have the ability, we should. This is what disciples of Jesus do. Nothing was below Jesus. Nothing was beneath Jesus. And if it wasn't beneath Him, then certainly it cannot be beneath us. We should be willing to help people. To minister as a a priest of God, which we all are, we must be willing to serve Jesus by serving others. I, I cannot serve Jesus without serving others. I cannot fulfill the the priesthood of the believer to be a minister for Jesus without serving others. 
This is what Jesus did. Jesus could have sat on a mountain and said, I am the son of God. And if you want me, you come to me. And if I think it's a big enough deal to merit my time, I will. But he did it. He went out among the people. He was where they were. He saw their needs. And he was willing to help anyone and everyone who came across his path that he could help. This is our example to follow. Be willing to help people. Secondly, demonstrate loving compassion. Jesus did what I imagine no one had done in this man's life in years. First, he did not recoil at the man's disease. Now, the description I gave of what leprosy was like, we can imagine recoiling at seeing a leper would be a pretty, almost an involuntary thing, I would guess. I mean, seeing a zombie walking around is essentially kind of what it looked like. But he didn't recoil. He didn't. He wasn't disgusted. And then he he was moved with compassion, and he reached out his hand, and he touched him. Now I like that. I like that his compassion motivated him to touch him. Now nobody touched lepers. They didn't get within spitting distance of them. They didn't touch them because the disease was communicated by if you got their juice on you. And it got in a cut or a wound that you had, you could very likely would get their disease. But Jesus touches the man. He's not afraid of getting what the man has. He is going to instead give this leper what he has, which is cleansing, which is holiness, which is a a, a purity he has not had. How long do you imagine it had been since anyone had touched this leper? Had anyone had been since anyone had shown enough compassion for him to not only not recoil, but to reach out and lay a loving hand upon him? How long had it been since he had felt human contact? What Jesus did in everything he did here in healing him must have been an amazing thing. Not just to heal him, but to also To touch him, to care for him, to be moved with compassion at his disease, at his, the way he was. Loving compassion motivated Jesus to reach out and touch the man despite what I would guess would be the disgusting condition of the man because of his disease. This is the kind of loving compassion we are to show. This is the example of loving compassion. We are to follow. Now, sadly, it is more difficult to show loving compassion than it ought to be. For a variety of reasons. But one I think is possibly the most common is that demonstrating loving compassion requires us to see. I mean, to really see people and to see their needs. To look past their appearance and to see a person in need of the Savior, to see a person made in the image of God, to see someone for whom Jesus died, requires us to look beyond ourselves. And and, and honestly, I I find this to be a difficult thing at times. 
I don't know, maybe you're a much better human being than I am. That's entirely possible. But when I get out and about and I'm doing the stuff that I need to do, it's really easy for me to get caught up in doing the stuff. I go to Walmart to pick up a few things and, and I have a list. I don't just meander around Walmart. I don't go there for fun. I've got a job to do. And because I've got a job to do, it's very often I miss people. I don't see them. Or if I do, I'm in a rush. Hey, how are you, Gio? It's good to see you. I got to go by. Maybe there was, if I had spent a little time and listened and talked to her, I maybe have seen something in a way I could have ministered to her in that moment. Right? This is what loving compassion requires of us is really not to be selfish, not to be self-centered. You, you can't be a selfish, compassionate person. That, those two things don't exist together. You can't be a self-centered, compassionate person. Those two things don't exist together. Our loving compassion has to, to push out our selfishness and our self-centeredness. And, and it requires us to be willing to get involved in the messiness of life. To touch the lepers, so to speak. Probably the best story Jesus told to, to illustrate this is a familiar one, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let me just quickly tell the story in case you're not familiar. A man is going from Jericho to Jerusalem and is assaulted by robbers and is beat nearly to death. And he's left along the side of the road, bleeding and naked and in an overall miserable condition. And as he's laying there, a priest who should have been the good guy in the story, he walks by and he sees the man, and he sees him from a distance, and he crosses the road, and he turns his eyes so he doesn't have to see, and he just keeps on going and ignores him. Then a Levite, who should have also been a good guy. To put it in a modern context, you could say a pastor and a deacon. The priest would have kind of been like a pastor. The Levite would have kind of been like a deacon. The deacon, he walks up and he actually looks at him, Make some bad choices in life. And he goes, he goes on. So the guy's left there. Then a Samaritan, a despised Samaritan, the people that the Jews hated. Now, to the Jewish people, when they're hearing this story, they're, they're surprised the, the priest and the Levite have left him. The Samaritan, here's the real bad guy. He's going to come up and he's going to jab him a few times with a knife and finish him off. But, but instead, the Samaritan walks up and he puts oil on his wounds and he bandages him and he puts him up on his own donkey and he leads him into an inn where he puts him in a bed and he pays for a few nights. And then he tells the guy, he says, let him stay here till he gets better and however long it takes. And the next time I'm in town, I'll pay up the bill. You just leave him and let him get better. Now, Jesus then asked the people around him, he said, who? Well, he asked this. Which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? The guy that initially started the conversation said the one who showed compassion. And then Jesus gives us the point of the story. Go and do the same. Go and do the same. But the parable of the Good Samaritan is meant to, to motivate us to follow the Samaritan's example of demonstrating love and compassion because it's Jesus' example of demonstrating love and Compassion. Loving compassion is meant to, to guide us as disciples of Jesus. Our, our ministry to others 
it, it, it just almost has to flow out of love and compassion. If we don't love God and love people and that motivate us to serve people, I don't see how it will be helpful. Because nobody wants to be somebody's pet project, do they? I, I don't want to be somebody's pet project. I don't want them to, to come and take a before picture of me. And then do all of these other things. Then take an after picture of me and post it on social media. Look at what I did to help this guy. He was this miserable wretch and then I came along. I'm awesome, right? Everybody everybody, give me my approval. Like and share this. Give me my loves. Go ahead and pass this along. Nobody wants that. Nobody. The person in those pictures doesn't want to be the person in those pictures. You know what they want? They want somebody to love them. They want somebody to be compassionate with them. They want someone to be willing to get involved in the messiness of life and not post it on social media and show the whole world how great the person that helped is. They want someone to do it not for any reason other than the fact they love them and they care for them. This is the example of Jesus. This is why Jesus told the guy not to go tell. Jesus didn't post it on social media. He didn't tell the guy, go spread it far and broad, what I've done so everybody will know how awesome I am. He didn't do that. In fact, he told the guy, don't tell nobody, which we'll get to that in a second. But he said, don't tell anybody. Why? Because Jesus didn't minister to the guy so that others would see how awesome he was. Jesus ministered to the guy because he loved him and he was compassionate to him. This is our example to follow. Loving compassionate requires us to be willing to help people and not promote what we've done. As Jesus would send us something up to, to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I would almost go so far as to say if we promote ourselves in the process, we have our reward. Love and compassion serves unnoticed. Love and compassion gets involved in the messiness of life. Love and compassion binds up the bleeding and the wounded and those laying in their own mess. And love and compassion puts you on your own donkey. Love and compassion puts forth effort and energy. Love and compassion extends resources and time. Loving compassion will touch the leper, so to speak. This is our example. This is what we're to do. We are to follow Jesus' example of ministry and demonstrating loving compassion as we minister to them in Jesus' name. Thirdly, do what we can to help. As soon as Jesus touched the man, immediately the leprosy left him, it says in verse 42. Jesus touched the guy he was made clean. He did what no one else could do. He completely healed the guy. This gives the man a whole new lease on life. Once he goes and shows himself to the priests, makes the offering that's required for this, they will declare him clean. And he can go back to the life he came from. He can go back to his family. He can go back. Everything begins again. He is, for all intents and purposes, he has been born again. He is given a whole new life now to go and live and to live in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. Jesus did what he could to help the guy. This is our example to follow. Now, the point for us isn't so go and heal lepers this week. I would love to be able to do that. But that's not what I can do. But just because I can't do what Jesus did doesn't mean I can't do something. 
Right? Just because I can't do what Jesus did doesn't mean I can't do what I can do. Jesus did what he did, what he could do. I can't do that, but I, I could do something. Jesus did what he could do, and you can't do that. Although if you can, come talk to me. I have some ideas. But if you can't, that doesn't mean there's not something you can do. And, and this is where I think we miss it. We often, we get focused on what we can't do so that we don't do anything. Let's say someone is, they're, they're being crushed by the cares of life and, and we can't lift the burden. I mean, we literally, there's nothing we can do to lift that burden. It is just something a part of the circumstances of their life and we can't make it better. And so we say, well, I can't fix them, so I'm not going to do anything. But could we do something? Could we be their friend? Could we find some little something we could do that would ease the burden? Could we be there with them? Could we invite them to supper? Could we take them out to eat? Could we babysit their children so they could have a free time to not, and maybe even have a breakdown so they don't have to break down in front of their kids? Could we do something? Well, the answer is yes. We could all do something. And we mustn't let the things we can't do keep us from doing the things we can do. We must be willing to do what we can do to help. And again, this goes back to we must get involved in the messiness of life. Very rarely can you help from afar. There, obviously, there are times where you can. But how many of us know that sometimes what somebody needs is just a friend to listen? Not to fix it. Not to say, well, here's what I would do if I were you. Just listen. I love you. I'll listen. I will pray for you about this. I, I can promise you from experience, that is hugely beneficial to have someone that would do that for you. We can't... It's not enough to do it from a distance. We have to be willing to, to move in close. We have to be willing to be with them in that time of need. Again, I, I would love, I would love to be able to, to heal the sick for so many reasons. But I can't do that. But I can go see them when they're in the hospital. I can pray with them. I can go mow their lawn if they need it while they're hospitalized. Right? I can't cure a debilitating disease that cripples someone. But I can go pick up their groceries for them. I can go clean up their house if they need it. I can do something. I can't set captives free. But I can go see the captives. Tell them I love them and tell them somebody loves them. Jesus loves them and so do I. That's, that's the example. That's the point. That's what we're supposed to do. So if we're going to follow Jesus' example, we need to do what we can do to help, whatever that may be. And then fourthly, watch as people are drawn to Jesus. Jesus told the guy not to go tell everybody um, because Jesus didn't do it for a show. He told him, just go show yourself to the priest. Tell them you've been cleansed, make the sacrifice, boom, go on back to life. But 
the guy goes out and proclaims it freely and spreads it around. I, I know Jesus told the guy not to, and so this was wrong. But how hard would that have been? How hard would it have been to have been healed from a deadly disease by Jesus and just to not tell anyone ever? I don't know if I could do that. Now, again, I know Jesus told the guy not to. But here's a, a point I always take from this in my personal studies. I think really the only people who can be silent about Jesus are those who haven't been touched by Jesus. If we have been touched by Him and delivered by Him and saved by Jesus, it's really hard not to share that freely and to spread abroad what Christ has done in me or through me or for me. And if it's easy to to push it down and not tell anyone what Christ has done, I have to wonder, has Christ done anything? Because the people Jesus touched all went out and shared it freely. They told people about the good things the Lord had done. And the result of this guy sharing was that people flocked to Jesus. That even if he stayed in unpopulated areas, they they came to him from everywhere. So I want us to to imagine a scenario for a moment. Imagine, if you will, we left here today with a mindset we were all ministers for Jesus. And that we were all to go out to be willing to help, to show love and compassion, to do what we could to help. And we said, I'm, I'm going to. Not only that's what I'm supposed to do, that's what I'm going to do. And so for the rest of our lives, the rest of this week, we just looked for opportunities to minister in the name of Jesus on the job, at Walmart, the restaurant, at the gym, at sporting events, throughout our neighborhood, just wherever we find ourselves this week. What if we did it with no stipulations? No, I'll, I'll do this if you'll come to church with me. I'll just do it because Jesus loves you and so do I. No, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to take a picture of myself and and share it on social media. Just I'm going to do it because Jesus loves you and so do I. Don't you imagine the result would be people being drawn to Jesus because of the love and the compassion and the willingness to help they saw in us? In my mind, this is a part of what it means to be salt and light. Jesus said we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt is our influence on the world. One of the greatest ways to to be able to influence people for good, for Jesus, is to be willing to help them, be compassionate toward them, do what we can to help them because Jesus loves them and so do we. Light is our testimony before the world. What better way to have a testimony as a disciple of Jesus than they would say, that person is willing to help. That person really loves others. They, they do whatever it is they can to help. That is a, a powerful testimony. Now, will that mean more people will come to us for help? It will. It will, no doubt. Will some of those have mixed motives and want to take advantage of us? Absolutely. Unfortunately, that's just the way the world works. But will it still let them see Christ in action through our actions? Absolutely, it will. And this 
glorifies God. And this draws people to Jesus. Before we close, there's one last thing I, I want to point out in this, in this passage. Jesus is not only the perfect example of ministry, but Jesus is also the perfect minister. We can't just read this and see an example where to follow. We also have to read this and see Jesus as the one who is willing. Jesus is willing to save. Jesus is willing to deliver. Jesus is willing to hear and answer prayer. Jesus is willing to pour out his spirit. Jesus is willing to heal. Jesus is willing to lead us along the best pathway for our life. Jesus is willing to teach us to be like him. Jesus is willing. Jesus is not only willing, but Jesus is also compassionately cares for us. Jesus compassionately cares for us and has loved us with an everlasting love. Jesus has demonstrated this love by laying down his life on our behalf. Jesus compassionately cares for us. And so he invites us to cast our cares upon him and to come to him and find rest for our souls. Jesus invites us to to come to him and let him bind up our broken hearts. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is willing. Jesus is compassionate. But Jesus is also able. Jesus is able to save us. Jesus is able to deliver us. Jesus is able to hear and answer our prayer. Jesus is able to pour out His Spirit. Jesus is able to heal. Jesus is able to lead us along the best pathway for our life. He is able to teach us to be like Him. To give us rest for our souls. To bind up our broken hearts. But Jesus is not only willing and compassionate and able, he is also actively working to draw us to him. Jesus has been actively working to draw us to him all of our lives. Through the word, through his spirit, through his church, through his mercy, through his grace, through his providence, through this service. Just through this opportunity to hear, He is able, He is willing, He is compassionate. It's Jesus saying, come to me and let me do what no one else can do for you. And the reason I mention these is because we cannot give what we have not received. I cannot give the willingness of Christ if I have not received Christ's willingness in my life. I cannot give the compassion of Christ unless I have received the compassion of Christ. I cannot give the ability of Christ unless I have received the ability of Christ. And I cannot draw people to Jesus unless I myself have been drawn to Jesus. Jesus is not just giving us an example to follow. He's calling to each one of us. To come to Him because He's willing to help us. Because He wants to demonstrate His loving compassion for us. Because He can do what no one else can help us. And He wants us ultimately to be drawn to Him. To know Him. To love Him. And then to make Him known in the world. So I want to give us four ways to respond to the past, to this message today besides these. One, believe. Believe Jesus is the willing one. Believe Jesus is the compassionate one. Believe Jesus is the able one. Believe Jesus is drawing 
to himself. First, believe it for yourself. And then when you go out and you minister to others, believe it for them as well. And then pray. Pray what you need from Jesus. Pray for His willingness in your life. Pray for His ability in your life. Pray for His compassion in your life. Pray for Him to draw you nearer to Him every day of your life. But then pray for opportunities to show this to the world around us. Pray as we go throughout our life, and as we go throughout our day, we would minister in the name of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, for the glory of our Father. Pray for opportunities. Then look for the opportunities. Jesus said in, in Matthew 9, He said that the people are like sheep without a shepherd. That there's more people than there are those able to help. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Trust me when I say there are people in Gaiman who need help from Jesus. They need the help from Jesus we can give them as disciples of Jesus. There is no shortage of people in Gaiman who need Jesus and need this help. The shortage is of people who will go into the harvest and will be willing and be compassionate and do what's able and point them to Jesus. And so look for the opportunities and then when you see them, take them. No matter how small it is, no small act of kindness, no small act of mercy or compassion goes unnoticed by Jesus. And it may well go unnoticed here. And it may well go unnoticed in any number of ways. And we may even feel like we've been taken advantage of. There's a, we may even feel we've been taken advantage of. That someone is blowing smoke to get us to do something. And, and again, I'm going to say that it's always possible. People are just the worst. They just are. But if I am serving them in the name of Jesus, and they're shooking and jiving me, I'm not missing out. I don't lose when they've tricked me. I am not a fool for helping them in the name of Jesus. They're going to answer to Jesus for what they did and what they said and, and all the things that went into it. But me, I've done a good deed in the name of Jesus. I have been willing. I have been compassionate. I have done what I could in the name of Jesus. I'm going to be all right, no matter what. No matter what it was. So let's be less worried about whether someone's taking advantage of us and more worried about we're doing the right thing in the name of Jesus. There's, there's no telling what Jesus could do through our lives if we committed to these things right here. If we committed to, to daily praying, to looking, to acting, to doing it in faith because we believe in Jesus. Make no mistake, Jesus wants to minister to our community, to our friends, to those we encounter. And He wants to do it through us. That's his plan. That's his goal. What could he do to our willingness to serve him? I mean, just look around at the number of people that are here today. What if each one of us, if we ministered to just one person this week in the name of Jesus, what kind of touch would we have in our community to demonstrate the compassion of Jesus, the willingness of Jesus, the 
power of Jesus. Man, the world has yet to see what God could do through a people devoted to doing this. Let's determine we're going to be those people. We're going to be willing. We're going to be compassionate. We're going to do what we can do. And we're going to do all we can to point people to Jesus. And of course, all of this does begin with a relationship with Jesus. I have to know Him myself. Again, I can't give what I haven't received. So I have to believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins and rose again. I have to believe that that Jesus died for my sins, that my sins were what put Him on the cross. I have to believe that His death paid the penalty and that His death alone is sufficient for me. That I can't save myself. That, That if I go out this week and I do this to every person I meet, I have not earned one ounce of God's mercy or grace. Only Jesus is the source of my grace. Only Jesus is the source of my mercy. I receive it because of what Christ has done. I'm saved not because I did those well. I'm saved because of what Jesus has done on my behalf and I have believed upon Him. And when we believe that, we turn from our sins. We turn from the life we're living and we turn to Him. Right? It is really, I think in some ways you can think of it as changing teams. The Bible says... That those who are not in Christ, that they're following the course of the world laid out by the prince of the power of the air. And then there is the kingdom of God over here. And God's leading in one direction. And this path is going in a different direction. And repentance is saying, this is the worst team ever. I want to be on Jesus' team. And I'm going to go the direction He wants me to go. I'm not going to follow that course of life anymore. I'm going with Jesus wherever that leads. He's... He's my captain. He's my Lord. He's my king. He's my all. I'll do whatever He wants me to do. And when we repent and when we believe, He takes us. He puts us on His team. He fills us with His Spirit. He wipes away our sin. He makes us into an entirely new creation. Then we can minister in His name. We can bring glory to His name. We can help others come to know Christ as King themselves. So before we can minister to Jesus, minister for Jesus, we must be sure we know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And as I said in in Peter, all of the promises come through knowing Jesus. Everything starts there. And then everything flows out of our knowledge of Christ as Savior, our knowledge of Christ as Lord. Do you know Jesus? If so, are you willing to believe? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to look? And are you willing to act? Let's determine to be the people that show others the willingness, compassion, and the able of our great God. Let's stand.